0: Welcome to More Than a Sign, where we talk to some of Milwaukee's most productive realtors, up-and-coming realtors, and those that work alongside us. However, rather than being a platform for shameful self-promotion, these are intimate discussions about the journey, the struggle, the fear, and ultimately, the personal growth along the way. At the end of the day, nobody really cares about what we do. All that really matters is who we are. Today, we're going to learn who Justin Ippolitti is, But before we do, let me tell you a few things about what Justin has done. So Justin is a Shorewest agent. He has a team of three. And incredibly, impossibly, last year, Justin sold more than 150 homes with his team of three, which we're definitely going to get into because it sure seems impossible. No disrespect intended. Who really cares about the production? Let's talk about Justin the guy. So Justin, I'm super excited to talk to you. We don't really know one another, but your reputation precedes you as a really nice guy and a really capable guy. And what you're doing is absolutely incredible and I'm excited to get there. But let's kind of start from the beginning. So did you grow up around here? So my family came to Wisconsin
1: when I was young, before I started kindergarten. I was born in the Chicago area. And when... We were looking to get a home. You know, we couldn't afford anything in the Chicago area. So we came to Wisconsin out of opportunity, settled here, and uh, my family's
0: been in Wisconsin ever since. Okay. So you're really a Wisconsinite because you were a little kid? Through and through. Okay. (laughs) Nice. So tell me, what was your childhood like?
1: I grew up in uh, a small town, Silver Lake, Wisconsin, out toward Lake Geneva area. 1500 person town just over the border. So it's a neat area where you get about, uh, you get a lot of Illinois people coming up. So you get about 50 50 Bears Packer fans there, which is always interesting this time of year. But definitely a, a small rural town where, you know, everyone knows everyone. And being an hour or so from Milwaukee, you know Milwaukee is kind of the big city you know about but even you know growing up close I I didn't really know Milwaukee too well until uh, I moved here as an adult. Did
0: you always want to be a realtor as a kid?
1: <laughs> no um you know like any uh good uh American boy growing up I I definitely saw myself as uh the next baseball star. Cleanup hitter? Cleanup hitter.
0: Clean hitter.
1: Brewers could have used me this year for right. sure but uh you know, maybe next year. And then, you know, as I, uh, you know, got, got more into school age and everything, I uh, actually uh, wanted to go into sports broadcasting. And to the point where I have a undergrad degree in broadcasting. Oh, nice. <laughs> that, uh, you know, taught me a lot. And uh, it was a great experience. But...
0: Uh, Reality sets it. Yeah.
1: To, to, you know, to be a top sports broadcaster is probably not much uh, better odds... <laughs> Mm -hmm. Then being a cleanup hitter for the brewers, so eventually got away from that path as well.
0: So in all honesty, and I'm going to keep coming back to this, and I try not to, (laughs) but I think the odds of three people selling 150 units a year is less. That's more of a long shot than making the brewers or uh, being a broadcaster. So I can't wait to get to that, (laughs) but I'm going to try to be as patient as possible. But I think that's more remarkable than your other two opportunities that you had your sights set on. Okay, so you you grow up, you're going to school, you decide that broadcasting isn't going to be your future.
1: Yeah, so probably about halfway through undergrad, you know, that reality is setting in. I'm still enjoying the major, enjoying, you know, school, but knowing that's probably not where my future calling is. And then, of course, you know, you get to about your third year in college and all the relative questions start happening. Right. What are you doing after school? What's your future hold? And, you know, the I don't know isn't really an acceptable answer (laughs) to most people. So at that point I started looking into law school as my next venture and it had the dual, you know, accomplishment of not only making relatives very happy, but (laughs) also being something I was excited about, you know, when I wasn't sure what my future would hold. And, you know, that gave me kind of that next step in my life that I was I was definitely looking forward to.
0: So where did you go to law school?
1: So um I went to undergrad in a small rural community, uh, Cedarville, Ohio, Cedarville University, about probably the size of the town I grew up in. So I went from one small rural Midwest town to another, but you know, even just getting away from home, that was really the goal for me, and like many young ones, looking to see what the world holds. So um, I connected through my undergrad to another uh, small private college in Virginia Beach um, called Regent University. And, you know, the affiliation kind of gave me a connection and another part of the country, I was able to escape to and see something different. And uh, yeah, so that kind of took me to that
0: next place. So what was law school like? Was it tough? You know,
1: it was, it was hard for me because, you know, I went right from high school to undergrad to law school. And, you know, at that point I was starting to feel, you know, the constraints, you know, wanting to, kind of get out there and do something with my life and you know being in school for so long gets tough so my first year in law school I really struggled with that to the point where you know I didn't know if I would continue but kind of persevered through that first year got through it and then you know from there it was was a great experience. I I think one of the things with law school that was tough for me because I struggled my first year that's where a lot of those initial opportunities come you know getting those initial year internships you know getting connected with people and I was just so struggling to get through just being there that it kind of set me behind a little bit in the field of law but so much of law school is just shaping how you think and shaping your mind and you know it's just critical towards you know developing who I am today so uh, it was an invaluable experience and I, I'm so glad you know, I did stick with it and you know Get my degree that still is somewhere in my basement, <laughs> <laughs> collecting dust. You know, and then you know, being in the city of Virginia Beach was uh, another uh, neat thing for me too, because uh, it's such a different part of the country, a different area. You know, just the convergence of the military towns, uh, Chesapeake, Norfolk, and uh, Virginia Beach. There, so you see such a different way of life. And honestly, uh, you know, coming from small towns my whole life up to that point. I was overwhelmed by Virginia Beach as a city. It's uh, you know a place where you, I stepped outside of my apartment, and I would sit in traffic for an hour, you know, just right outside my apartment door. And you know, I, I swore to myself I would never live in a city again. Sure. Living there, I despised it. But uh, you know, then, of course, leaving there, coming back to Milwaukee as an adult, I loved Milwaukee from the first day I settled here. And uh, you know, if I am in Milwaukee the rest of my life, I'd be a happy guy.
0: Sure. So it sounds like you never practiced law. You got the degree, but you decided this is not my life calling.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, again, getting toward the end of law school, you know, get to that point again, we're like, okay, now what, you mm-hmm. know, what am I going to do with my life? And, uh, at that point, you know, being away from home for eight years, I wanted to come back to Wisconsin. I wanted to come home and the opportunities to do that, you know, were tough. So I had the privilege My last year in Virginia of connecting with a program called the New Teacher Project, which was established in a lot of the urban cities around the United States. And the goal was to bridge the achievement gap. So many students in urban settings were falling behind all over the United States. And uh, Milwaukee is certainly one of those spots. So um, they were developing for the first time the New Teacher Project in Milwaukee under the label Milwaukee Teaching Fellows. And uh, yeah, so I had the awesome opportunity to get connected with them, come back to Milwaukee, and start teaching full-time without having, you know, any (laughs) preparation. (laughs) But, uh, you know, just a chance to start earning a full-time salary and stepping right into a career field, you know, it was amazing for me. And I'm so grateful for that and wouldn't have traded that time for for anything.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that. Where where was it and what was the experience like?
1: So, you know, it was funny because, again, growing up, basically my whole childhood in Wisconsin – not far from Milwaukee, you know, we'd come up for a Bucks game here or there, a Brewers game here and there, but I didn't know Milwaukee for anything. So, you know, you know, the goal of this teaching program I'm in is to go to the toughest locations, you know, toughest spots and, you know, make a difference. So um, I got placed at um, what used to be Custer High School on uh, Sherman and Hampton. And, you know, at, at that time we were in the low five performing schools in Wisconsin. So it it was a place of need. And, uh, you know, so this small town (laughs) young man gets placed in this urban setting. And it was, you know, really eye-opening for me. But uh, gosh, uh, just really my whole worldview and my understanding of how the world operates and the needs. And I mean, just completely reshaped my whole reality getting put in that
0: setting. So most people would ask you what you taught, but I'm going to ask you what you learned.
1: Yeah, that is probably much more relevant. You know, first of all, patience. I told the story a few times. My classroom, when I first got placed, was a former art room. And, you know, there's a remnants of all the art hmm. <laughs> stuff there. And I remember probably my first or second month there, I was holding this little ceramic thing. And I got so frustrated that it shattered in my hand. <laughs> and wow. there's shards everywhere. I'm dripping blood from my hand. <laughs> and, you know... uh, I was forced just to learn uh, an incredible amount of patience and understanding and empathy, and I needed all that. And uh, it, it definitely made me so much of a better person.
0: To get through to these kids, is that?
1: Just the kids, you know, definitely are a big part of it, you know you talk about like has, has those, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you know you got kids who come to school where their housing's in jeopardy they're they haven't eaten you know in a few days and you know then you want them to sit down and do you know division and you know t- t- talk about US history and you know it, it's they're trying know, to
0: survive it's so much
1: more and uh, you know you're working with social workers and psychologists and things every day because these kids need the full gamut of ser- services and you know you you have no choice but to just completely internalize that and make it your mission, or you don't do much there. And so that 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 really set in for me. And then you know working, you know, with a school in my seven years there, we had five head principals. By the last year I was there, I was the second longest tenured teacher in the school. So, and and that's you know a big city high school. So uh, there's a lot of challenges beyond just. The needs of the kids, but the struggles of the system, the struggles of, you know, the what's in place, and you know, it's just it's so overwhelming, you know, on a daily basis.
0: How did that affect you personally?
1: You know, I, I think by the, the, my later part of my tenure, you know, it, it, you almost get into survival mode where, you know, if if you don't, it takes so much of you that. You know, you just don't have a lot left personally. Uh, I remember Friday nights at the end of the work week, I'd go out for dinner and, like, be nodding off at the dinner table. It just, just takes so much out of you every week. And um, I, I don't know that, it, you know, that in that setting, doing that is sustainable for I, – I couldn't have – I don't think I could have done it for 30 years, you know, made a career out of it for that long. but.
0: So – you're in your teaching career, you're, you know, year five, six, seven, you're starting to think about maybe this isn't for me. I'm going to make a mark while I'm here, but I'm going to transition to something else. Let's talk about what you considered.
1: So, you know, it, it for initially, it wasn't even about finding something different to do, but, you know, it, it was tough times in the state, in, in the school system. Um, they put us on a three-year pay freeze. I think my second or third year there where, I was basically at an initial educator salary, and they were in increasing our contribution to benefits every year. So, you know, there was a point my take-home pay went down for two years in a row. And, you know, I had seven years of student loan debt to pay back. And, uh, you know, so I started looking for just supplemental, you know, opportunities. And I, I was interested in real estate right away. When I when I started teaching, I bought a house in uh, 2008, coming back to Milwaukee and I remember a year after I closed on the house I still had a excel spreadsheet where I was tracking market data and I was like what the heck am I doing (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like okay well maybe there's something I can do with this and so I remember going to at the time the Shore West office across from Southridge Mall and meeting with the sales director there and I'm like you know is this something I can do in the summers, weekends? You know, I'm a teacher. I want to stay being a teacher, but, you know, I I need something else. And, you know, I'll never forget. He looked me in the eyes. uh, John Dominsky was a sales director then. He said, son, I have people who make more in the summer than you do in three years of teaching. Where do I sign, please? And, yeah, so I, I took a full school year, took my time, and did all the preparation material, got my license at the end of, that school year. And, Which was uh, what year? 2012, actually.
0: Kind of the bottom of the market.
1: For sure. Uh, definitely a recovering market. And, you know, that summer I started right in, you know, just... Can I
0: stop you for a second? Please. So I'm just curious how you felt. Like you're, you're headed into this and you're you're probably not charged up. I mean, you're probably fairly depleted. You're questioning if you can continue to teach. You You're financially stressed. I mean you're going into this business probably not at your best, right?
1: You know, I think that's all true, but I think I was excited enough about having an opportunity that it did kind of get me excited and motivated and just taking the time and preparing for that first summer. I was definitely excited off the bat and, you know, to see where it would take me, but I had zero expectations. I, I thought it would be something where I did a little bit, dabbled, Here and there, maybe it gave me a little bit of extra income, but I did not expect much, if anything, beyond that. So Interesting. Yeah, this was not something I was going in. Like, okay, this is going to change my life. This is going to solve all of my problems. Not at all.
0: Yeah, just it was supplemental.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay,
0: so what happened?
1: So I, I think, you know, if anything, the road that took me to real estate wasn't one by design whatsoever. You know, I think every step of the way I kind of, you know, just stepped to my next path by happenstance almost. And it ended up being such a great design to get me to where I was. Um, Just the legal preparation and background gave me a lot of initial credibility as an agent. You know, I remember when I started real estate, so many, you know, how old are you? You know, have you ever done anything before? And, you know, The easy answer was, I have a law degree. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that stopped all the questions immediately, which was nice. And, you know, sure, some contractual understanding and negotiation understanding that was, uh, you know, a big part of my legal training. But it just helped so much with that initial getting over the hump. And, you know, I I just enjoyed so much right away connecting with people. You know, in college as a broadcasting major, I I was a sales director for our, our student station. And I remember how hard it was to try to sell radio ads to people in the community and you know it was like selling encyclopedias or right. <laughs> you know right. ice ice boxes or something and real estate's so different you know people want to buy houses people want to do this and you're kind of just guiding them to something that they want to do and it was honestly the easiest and most enjoyable sales <laughs> mm-hmm. i had ever done and it just clicked with me so deeply so right off the bat
0: and So what was that first year like like from a production standpoint So
1: my first six months, basically that June to December, I sold, I think six houses, you know, just, it was a lot of just initial getting the systems going, connecting with people. And uh, again, with zero expectations. So it wasn't until the, my first full year, 2013, where things really started taking off. And I think I ended up doing 40 units in the full 2013. And it was really then that year that it started to become a realization for me, like, you know, maybe this is more than I thought it was going to be.
0: Yeah. So that second year, which is really just, you had a half a year, so let's call it a year and a half in it. Suddenly you're passing almost everybody in your office. What do you attribute that to? Like personally?
1: You know, I, I think being in real estate long enough now, you can tell, you know, you have to have a certain personality, a certain skill set. And even without training and experience, I think you can tell pretty quickly when people come into an office and are really geared towards doing well in real estate. And I, I think I was fortunate to have a really good background and to go with the skill set that is is good for this business. And, you know, it was the first time in my life where I was doing something where there was a correlation between the time and effort I invested in something and the paycheck I received at the end of the day. Teaching was so hard for me because I would put my heart and soul into teaching. You know, I'd be there from six in the morning till nine at night and to the point where, especially early on, you know, administrators will walk by and be like, why are you here still? What are you doing? I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make a difference. And, you know, then I'd walk away with my salary that didn't really even pay my bills. And it, it was really tough. So in real estate, you know, I, I loved, you know, just throwing myself into it and putting all my time and effort into it. And then seeing like, wow, this actually, there's something to show for my time here. And that motivated me so much early on and still <laughs> to this mm-hmm. day. So um, I, I love that about this business.
0: Yeah. Um, where does your business come from?
1: So, as a teacher, I, I was fortunate to connect with a lot of professional people and uh, and we had a, a lot of turnover. So I'd meet a lot of new people every year and um, expand my connections that way. And a lot of my business early on was either people I worked with or people I knew from MPS. And um, in, a, in a market that was recovering, there was a lot of investment opportunities. So um, being familiar with uh, Milwaukee as a city from teaching I was able to help investors find strategic areas to buy affordable investment properties and I think that set me apart from a lot of agents who either aren't familiar so much with the city locations or don't want to. Um, Even agents in my office that you know aren't comfortable with the city would give me leads for free, and I mm. take every one of them. And um, I think it really helped to get my production going early on and create some great relationships with people that, you know, would buy a $50,000 duplex with me. And because that experience went well, then they trusted me when they bought their $400,000 house in Menominee Falls. So right. um, not being, a, you know, unwilling to help people no matter what it was really helped to build a lot of great connections.
0: You know, and people forget or don't realize that a typical residential buyer is going to buy from you and then they're going to stay there for, it used to be seven years. Now it's 10 years. An investor, if you do a nice job for them and really find something great, they might buy multiple properties a year.
1: That's a lot of my business. It's so gratifying to have people who come back to you over and over. And you're right. Some, some of my best traditional sales. You sell once and then you never hear from them again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not the same with investors. And that's a bread and butter that is sustainable for the long term. Yeah. So what motivates you now? I've always been a numbers guy. So (laughs) I definitely like, you know, challenging myself with my numbers and production and pushing myself to keep increasing. I think as a business person, you never want to be content with what you're doing. You always got to find ways to push yourself to the next level. And I've always been Pretty self-motivated that way, and you know you you want to balance that with you know being a good (laughs) humble person with Mm -hmm. while being you know competitive and challenging yourself and uh, so yeah and you know my life has changed a lot since I've done real estate. I I now have two young daughters, so you know definitely wanting to create a good life for them and you know not let off you know because real estate is something where you could be the best in the state one year and your production the next year is not guaranteed for one day. So, you know, if you get too caught up in your accomplishments, then you have no income and that's not good for business. So, you yesterday is gone and it's only today and tomorrow.
0: Right. So again, before we talk about the amount of business you do, just based on that, based on the amount and the, how few people exist in your team, you've got to be one of the busiest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And and the reason why I say that is I didn't know you. A friend of mine who we both really think highly of, Sarah, recommended that I give you a call. I texted you. As busy as you are, you got back to me within two minutes maybe. I said, fantastic. I connected you with Sarah within 30 seconds you reached out to Sarah before she could reach out to you. So let's just talk a little bit about with the amount of business you do. Do you have any time left? How do you how do you time block so that you have a life outside of what you do?
1: It's a big challenge and that's probably for me the the danger of real estate is it is consuming and especially when I was on my own and extremely driven to improve my life. I I was from the second I woke up to the second I went to sleep consumed in real estate. But it's also a different mentality when you don't have a lot of responsibility outside of work because, you know, it'd be eight o'clock at night, I'd have the Brewers game out in the background, typing up an offer casually. Mm -hmm. You know, my time was my time and, you know, it it was great. But then, you know, when family enters the picture, you have to become more balanced. There's no choice. And- so I, are
0: you? I mean, have you been <laughs> able to get there?
1: I I, I am. And I, I think it is being a lot more intentional with my time now. I don't have the luxury of spending three hours listening to the brewers and typing mm-hmm. up an offer. I might have 10 minutes to do something and I have to be very focused and, and, and precise. And I think that's been good for me because I, I am, you know, a lot more conscious of that now. And it's definitely still a work in progress. I have a wife who incredibly supportive and understanding of what I do and is amazing, you know, with the home aspect of things. And, you know, I think we balance in our partnership really well, but I definitely, especially as my kids get older, mm-hmm. well, I need to keep working at that because, you know, we live in a world where kids are, you know, doing so many things, going from one sporting event to the next, going from one, scholastic event to another, and, you know, I, I have to, you know, be a part of that. So it's going to be continued to be a work in progress.
0: Sure. So you are one of the most or maybe the most driven guests I've had, and, you know, the guests on the show do, by and large, do very well. So I'm going to ask you a question that I think a lot of top producers struggle with, myself included. One's enough enough?
1: Yeah, I think that's hard, too, because I don't know how to really do – Halfway, You know, either you're responsive to people, either you're plugged into what you're doing and trying to grow, or I think the alternative to that is not a good one. So I, I think really it's as business grows, finding more supports, being more efficient, improving systems. And I think that's the way to grow while not sacrificing other things. But, you know, I think there's so much that can be done. So, you know, if if enough is enough for me, then I have to find ways to be more invested in the community and, you know, do things to help people. You know, I got that perspective in MPS of, you know, the needs of our city and the needs of, you know, Reflected in our country at large, and I I think you know, with resources and accomplishment comes responsibility to 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 help, and that's definitely you know my heart for my future as you know I I continue to improve as a you know a business person and and a realtor.
0: So, as driven as you are, what does your business look like in five or ten years?
1: There's not a roadmap, you know. There's not a chartered path, you know. I thought, you know, I I would sell a couple houses a -hmm. summer and, you know, be a better teacher. But uh, I I think certainly, you know, I want to invest in other people's lives. I have a a great licensed assistant who, you know, I think has done great, you know, working with me and learned so much. And I think this opportunity as I grow my wisdom and experience to do that with more people and certainly to get a good team of production and But, you know, not sacrificing my connection with my clients and, you know, being there for my clients. And, you know, probably the downside of being driven is being a little bit of a control freak, too. And that's Mm -hmm. hard to (laughs) surrender some of that. So, you know, those are all the areas I need to look to, you know, improve at and grow at in the next five to ten years.
0: Yeah. So a lot of young agents will say to me, and I'm sure they say to you, you know, Justin, what's the one thing I could do? There, there is no one thing, right? I mean, there's no one thing, but um, we all know a lot of people. Everybody knows a lot of people, but people are drawn to you and want to work with you. And I always say, like your first year, let's say, where you if somebody sells six homes, you can sell six homes to your friends and family because there are enough friends and family to, to provide six sales. At some point, you're selling homes for people, buyers or sellers, that are saying to their friends or family that are realtors, they're saying to their close friend that's a realtor or their family, you know what, Um, I'd love to work with you, but I'm going to work with Justin. Um, What do you think draws people to you and, and allows them, so many people, allows them to say to people that they know and love, I'm going to work with Justin. Like what are because that's what I think young people are getting into this business want to know. They don't know how to ask it, but that's what they want to know.
1: I I think, you know, that advocacy piece for people is so important and I think the concern sometimes of working with friends or family, you know, is are they really going to advocate for me? Are they going to accomplish what I need, you know? Am I going to sacrifice you know, my biggest investment by working with someone I have a connection to. And most people are not willing to to do that. They want the best result, and even at the expense of someone's feelings sometimes. Sure. And I I think when people feel like you're going to go to hell and back to get them the best outcome they possibly can, they feel that, you know, in conversations. And, if you know, I I think they walk away from conversation with me feeling like that's going to be the – and there, there's no one else that they're going to go to for their business.
0: Yeah. So for somebody that's newer in the business and they don't know what advocating for somebody means, let's just drill down on that for a second. What does it mean to really advocate for somebody?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's so many pitfalls in real estate every day. And, you know, re- realtors exist because people can't shake hands and sell houses. If they could, I wouldn't have a job. Great I'd be, line. I'd be teaching still. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think having a realistic conversation with people about, you know, what can happen along the way and knowing that, you know, I'm not just here to get them an offer. I'm not just here to put their house on the MLS a- any, anyone with a brain and fingers can do that. So I'm, you know, going to fight through those problems and I'm going to be there every step of the way, you know, and knowing that they can relax because I know I'm, they know I'm handling those things. That's, you know, advocacy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think a lot of agents are content to just get that accepted offer and ride it through and, you know, you see a lot of negotiations at different stages, inspections, appraisals, where people just kind of give it up a little bit. And, you know, that's where I think my values are in by fighting for those extra little nuggets for people. And they appreciate that they walk away at the end, like, man, because of Justin, he he got me those extra pieces that he didn't have to get me. And, Mm. you know, that's, that's meaningful. And, you know, my friends and family are going to know about that.
0: Sure. So as a result, you must have a tremendous repeat and referral business.
1: Yeah, and that's the f- most fun part for me about being 10 years in now is, you know, early on it was, you know, meeting people for the first time. Now, a lo- you know, a good amount of my business is that repeat and referral. And that's where really the fun, the joy of, you know, being there with people through those experiences and, you know, I, I-, I want to ride that wave.
0: Yeah. I mean, know. if you work hard and you get to that seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year mark, you start getting people calling saying... Justin, I don't know if you remember me. remember you, of course I remember you, right? I'll never forget (laughs) you, Um, but that's really nice. There's not a
1: day where that doesn't happen now, and that's so fun. You know, you wake up today and you don't know who's gonna be calling, you know, with that conversation and every day is different, unique, and exciting, and you know it's coming, so, yeah.
0: So I've resisted for (laughs) a half an hour, uh, and now I'm gonna ask you. Production time. How in the heck do you do, do three people do 150 deals? So I, I think one
1: thing I've done well with, and I see a lot of agents struggle in this area, is being you know, focused on what you need to be focused on today. So I might have 25 transactions going right now, and I know exactly where I'm at in each of those 25 transactions. And you know I could nitpick on some things in tra- transaction seven today, but that's not a concern today. Today, you know, transaction three really needs to deal with things. Mm. So I I think I've been good at prioritizing what needs to be prioritized, and that helps me do a higher number of units by not stressing over things that don't need to be stressed about. And I I think agents really struggle with that. I see agents that are just so caught up in things. I'm like, why are you worrying about that right now? Mm. That's meaningless but you know what if this happens and what if that happens like that's why you know you're struggling with production so but it's definitely taking time you know i've in 10 years i didn't start with 200 units you know i i would have gone insane i'd be Mm -hmm. you know not in good mental health (laughs) (laughs) or worse than i am now (laughs) and you know so it's really been slowly but steadily kind of ramping that up and you know okay five five deals to 10 to 15 to 20, you know, and it's just slowly increasing what I do within the scale. What
0: are your systems like?
1: So, so I am an Excel junkie. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I input everything in there and kind of track, you know, where I'm at with things through that. All, All my year to year data is in there. You know, if I were to pull up like my main Excel sheet, you'd think I was crazy. It's like a beautiful mind, like the guy writing and chalk right. on the wall, you know, it's yeah. insane, but you know, that's kind of oh, right. And, and then I, I carry around a notebook with I'm kind of known for this within my inner circles, but I keep a contact log on one side of a note page and a to-do list on the other. And I'm constantly writing things down and that frees my brain power. Mm. Um, not having to think about things, you not know, having to
0: worry paper. what you forgot about for sure. Cause I would in yeah. a second,
1: you know, there's no way the human brain <laughs> can only hold so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you you know, really putting things into those systems allows me to keep my brain free to deal with what I need to deal with. And that's been really helpful with my production. And then, you know, knowing, you know, when I need to bring help in, too. So um, I, I had one assistant, you know, before my current one who was with me about three years. And, you know, he both of the licensed assistants I've had, I've been very fortunate. Like never I, I asked him to do something and they always do it, you know, they don't give, challenge me, they don't say, well, no, today's not a good day for me, you know, because I, I think I would struggle <laughs> with mm-hmm. that. So, I, uh, you know, so the, the kind of reflective of my mindset of, you know, go anywhere, do anything and, you know, work hard every day. And uh, that helps ex- extend me beyond what I'm capable of.
0: Yeah. Um, one of the conversations I have with younger agents or agents that aren't young, but are newer, let's say that's a better word. Is that if you don't have systems, you have a job, you don't have a business. No. Um, you need to have systems to have a business. Otherwise, you're just scrambling around and you really have nothing. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, you know, it's neat about our industry because 100 different successful agents can do it 100 different ways, too. So my ways would not work for probably anyone else. But um, that does not mean they can't have tremendous success, you know, beyond my success by doing it their way, and I, I think that's neat too. And I, I learned so much by seeing how you know different agents are successful because you can take little things that they do well and try to incorporate them in, and always be improving yourself. So uh, I think we have a great market in our area of really successful agents that are you know still down to earth and great to talk to, unlike mm-hmm. <laughs> some other you know mm-hmm. maybe cities around the United States. So um, yeah, I, I've loved being you know incorporating myself into you know, our network of agents here in
0: the area. Great. Um, so as we wrap up, let's talk about your daughters for a second. Tell me about
1: them. So, um, I just had, uh, my oldest daughter just turned three, um, this last week. So I'm starting to really get into the throes of fatherhood and, Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, just seeing personalities develop and, you know, then become little people, uh, you know, but they're still at an age where they're always happy to see me when I come home Mm -hmm. and, you know, all smiles and, uh, yeah, it's just so rewarding to have something meaningful, you know, at the end of the day like that. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're, they're two little, uh, bundles of joy and, uh, you know, excited to, you know, continue to grow as a father and hopefully, uh you know, help them
0: to grow as people too. Yeah. How old is your younger daughter? She's
1: a year and a half. So they're very close in age. They are the same size pretty much. They share clothes. And, um, yeah, I went from, you know, living in a condo (laughs) by myself (laughs) to having, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, a full house. Uh, So it's changed my life a lot very quickly and forced me to kind of stay on my toes, which is, I think, always healthy to -hmm. not get too flat-footed and compliant?
0: Yeah well um, I don't give much advice but I'm super close with my boys who are 22 and 19 and um, I mean I, I, I couldn't be closer and that's my proudest accomplishment and the only thing I share from that is that as especially when you're busy and you have a limited amount of time the key to a relationship, like you said, they're still happy when you come home. They will always be happy when you come home if you love what they love. And I think the biggest mistake that most parents make is that we want our kids to love what we love. But if we can love what they love, and you start by three, uh, three years old, you start to see what those things are. It's, it's a lifelong relationship. You know, my older son, I'm going to go see the Beach Boys for the 15th time with because he loves the Beach Boys. So I love the Beach Boys. And those were 15 great evenings. And I, I just share that because it's something I learned along the way. And, you know, like what we do during the day is great, but it's really like these relationships we make, the friendships, the family, all of that. Anything you want to add before we wrap it up? No, I think this is
1: such a great time. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the chance to get to know you a little bit too. And uh, love that you're bringing agents, you know, more personal side of agents. I don't think we see that a lot. So thank you for your efforts there. Yeah.
0: Well, I've never met anybody that I've been more impressed with, to be honest. Are you hiring? Like, or I mean, you must have two superstars to do what you're doing. Are you Are you on the lookout for more or are you kind of set?
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely want to grow. You know, it's been very selectively so, but I think the next, you know, hire I would like, you know, is really so a rock star, you know, kind of transaction coordinator, kind of, uh, uh, handling of behind the scenes kind of things. And I've struggled in having someone I can really rely on in that. And I think that could really help me to elevate to the next level. So if there's anyone out there, you know, looking to
0: be my rock star, you know, sidekick, uh, I would be interested. Fantastic. Well, what an incredible opportunity it would be to work alongside you, to learn from you, and to just be on the ride you're on. What a ride. Well, thank you. Thanks for being so responsive. Thanks for sharing. And most importantly, thanks for changing all these lives you're changing. I mean, you know, you'll change 200 lives this year. That's fantastic.
1: And continue to change mine every step of the way, which has
0: been amazing. Cool. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Appreciate it. So I'd like to give a shout out to Podcast Town Studios, our producer. No sleep for creating the music. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you believe that you or someone you know would be an ideal guest and would talk about not what they've done, but really who they are, why don't you reach out to me? I'm the easiest guy in the world to get a hold of. Thank you.